You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, help us now to trust in the message of the sacrifice of your Son for our sins, that we have peace with you through Jesus Christ, who has given us access to your grace. Amen. You may be seated. In a sermon he delivered to his congregation in Northampton, Massachusetts in 1739, Jonathan Edwards, the great American uh, preacher, theologian, philosopher, one time uh, president of Princeton University, um, grandfather of Aaron Burr, did you know that? Um, Jonathan Edwards, he uh, said this in explaining the relevance of Jesus Christ's incarnation, incarnation meaning God becoming fully man. This is what he said in that sermon Jonathan Edwards says, Christ's incarnation was the the greater and more wonderful thing than had ever come to pass. And there has been but one that has ever come to pass which was greater, and that was the death of Christ, which was afterwards. But Christ's incarnation was a greater thing than had ever come to pass before. The creation of the world was a very great thing but not so great a thing as the incarnation of Christ. It was a great thing for God to make the creature, but not so great as for the creator himself to become a creature. We have spoken of many great things that were accomplished from one age to another in the age as between the fall of man and the incarnation of Christ, but God's becoming man was a greater thing than they all. When Christ was born, the greatest person was born that ever was, was or ever will be born. The reason the author of the letter of Hebrews wrote his letter is that some people in the church that he's writing to had lost sight of what Edwards is explaining here. That some people in the latter half of the first century, second generation Christians, had lost sight of the greatness, the majesty of of what Edwards is trying to get across about the incarnation. That is Jesus Christ's uh, sufficiency and his superiority. Roughly the first ten and a half chapters of the letter to the Hebrews are devoted to explaining that Jesus is superior to angels, to Moses, to the high priest, to the old covenant, and to the earthly temple. Christ is superior to all these things. If there's a tagline for the letter uh, to the Hebrews, it's that Jesus is the greatest. For example, there may have been a high priest in Israel, but Jesus Christ is the great high priest whose offering was once for all. As I said, it seems that some people were leaving this message of Jesus Christ's finality behind. Perhaps they were identifying still as followers of Jesus, in a way, that they were Christians, but they were succumbing to pressures from the society around them. And they were looking to other religious practices in addition to Jesus. Even resorting back to faith and the ritual laws that Moses gave their ancestors in the Old Covenant. Looking to the temple in Jerusalem for worship and sacrifices. Looking to angels for mediation with God. And overlooking that Jesus Christ is the one and only mediator and advocate to God the Father. So in our passage today, in verses 1 through 3 we have the prologue to this letter. It's a sort of thesis statement, as it were, for this whole letter. 
It encapsulates the thrust of a lot of what the author of the Hebrews will say for the rest of the letter, that Jesus is superior and sufficient. That is, he is the best and he's enough. He's the greatest and what he's done is enough. God's words spoken in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made for the forgiveness of sins are superior to anything that came before. And not only that, not only is it superior to everything that came before, but God's words spoken through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice are sufficient. So for now, nothing more needs to be revealed for us and nothing more needs to be done for us. The way the author of Hebrews says it is like this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In other words, God spoke to us in a variety of incomplete ways through the prophets of old. I'm not trying to diminish the way, I mean, when God speaks, God's speaking, but it was through the prophets in a variety of different ways that were, in a way, incomplete. But in these last days, God spoke by Jesus with finality. Jesus is not only the same word of God that spoke all creation to existence, the word uh, that God spoke in Genesis chapter 1 when he said, let there be light or creatures or or mankind, it it happened. Not only is God that same word, uh, not only is Jesus that same word that uh, God used to speak creation into existence, but he is the ongoing uh, ruler of the world. He upholds it. He continues to uphold this world as it's spinning in its uh, orbit around the sun, and not only the sun in our galaxy, but the universe. I mean, think about that. The, the expansive, infinite sort of nature of the universe, and he upholds that. That same word that's spoken into creation and now rules. This is the word that became the baby boy, Jesus Christ, at the incarnation. Therefore, nothing more needs to be said. God could probably say a whole lot more, don't get me wrong, but we have enough, the author of Hebrews tells us. Jesus is both the superior and the sufficient word. And then in verse 3, he says this, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So unlike the earthly high priests of Israel who had to repeat their sacrifices over and over again on an annual basis and therefore were never finished, never fully accomplished. There was always more work to to be done. Unlike these high priests, the great high priest's sacrifice took hold and it needs no repeating. As we'll say, as we say every Sunday here in church and as we'll say in uh, several minutes when we celebrate Holy Communion uh, with this prayer, All glory be to thee, almighty God, our heavenly Father, for that thou of thy tender mercy didst give thine only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made there, by his one, one oblation of himself, once offered a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. 
Oblation is an old-timey word that means an offering and sacrifice. And so we proclaim when we celebrate the Lord's Supper that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was full, perfect, and sufficient. And he had to be born a human to make this happen. No angels could do it. No Moses, no bulls, no goats offered by uh, mere mortal men. Only God made man could make the full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice uh, for our sins. So what is the relevance of Hebrews chapter 1 for us today? What is the relevance of all that I've just tried to explain uh, for us here today? We see that it was relevant to the the original audience 2,000 years ago, but what does it mean uh, for us here and now? How are we like the original audience of Hebrews? Well, when we lose sight of Christ's superiority and sufficiency, we don't tend to look to the laws of Moses the way that they might have um, to find find standing with God or uh, religious assurance. Instead, we look to the messages of the world that tell us to find uh, value in so many things, in so many different things. Ideas, products, affiliations, choices, identities. We're constantly barraged with messages and information in our age. And they're often uh, conflicting ideas that leave us boggled and confused. The world world speaks to us in a variety of ways, in sundry and varied ways, but it's always incomplete. So we have a constant feeling like there's more we need to know. There's more that we need to look up on Wikipedia. There are more books that we need to read. We have a fear of missing out if we don't, you know, watch the latest program or whatever it is. We have to be constantly caught up. Uh, And we always, there's always more to do um, in in our age. As the uh, song in the movie, the recent movie, The Greatest Showman, Showman says, it will never be enough. Did you see that? It will never be enough. It's the highlight of the film is that song. Here's the chorus. The opera singer says, All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we seal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. And then she croons on and on, Never be enough. Never be enough. But friends, God has spoken to us by his son, and this son sat down. The definitive word for all our concerns has been spoken. And the definitive sacrifice for us has taken place. And look, I get it myself. I'm intellectually aware of all that I'm trying to explain here about Jesus' sufficiency and superiority for my life. But like you, I'm always taken by the messages of this world. The messages that tell me there's still more I need to know that there's still more that I need to do before I'll feel adequate. This is why I must repeatedly hear the the good news of uh, Christ's message uh, for myself, almost not just a daily, but a a minute-by-minute basis of Christ's sufficiency and superiority. When the author of Hebrews finally concludes explaining God's definitive word and work with Jesus in the first ten and a half chapters... Ten and a half chapters of basically saying the same thing over and over again and warning the audience of not heeding this message. After exhausting himself with this message, 
after ten and a half chapters, he immediately gives this instruction to his audience. And if you want, you can look at it. In your pew Bibles, it's on page 1007, or if you have a Bible in your lap, it's uh, chapter 10, starting at the 19th verse. But I'll read it here. This is what he says. After explaining this message of Jesus is the greatest, he says, therefore, at chapter 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, therefore, because of all this, though he's summarizing everything, therefore, because of all this, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, that is the day of Christ's return. So the author here in this paragraph gives three instructions, three implications of the message of Christ's superiority and sufficiency for his word and his work in our life. The first one is to draw near to God with the assurance that we have through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And the second is to hold fast to the belief that we have hope in the teachings of Jesus Christ's promises for us. And the third is to stir one another up, meaning uh, to encourage each other. And how by getting together, it seems that some were avoiding this. And when we get together to proclaim this message to each other, not just from the pulpit, but when we see each other, when Christians see each other, we should remind each other of the good news of Jesus Christ for our life. Well, let me direct all of this to you directly right now, of what I'm trying to say here. If you do these three things, if you do these three things of drawing near to God with the assurance that you have in Jesus Christ and hold fast to this belief, the hope that you have for the rest of your life, and to also find other people to encourage and be encouraged by with this message, if you do all these things, it will be enough for you. It will be enough for you. In spite of what anyone or any message tells you, Uh, You'll be given over time uh, to care less about the things of this world. Over time, it'll seep in in a way that you'll begin to care less about all those competing messages of the world. The things that you need to know or need to do or need to have or need to be. Think that you need to lose weight to be loved. God has spoken to us by his son and he says... You too are his well-beloved child. In you, he is well-pleased because of Jesus Christ. Think you need a renovated kitchen or bathroom or whatever it is to feel complete in your life? The Son of God is the heir of all things, and this means he's the king of the universe, the whole universe, the whole shebang. And not only that, you will inherit this kingdom which is far superior to any kitchen renovation or new possession that's just going to fall apart eventually. 
Think you need plastic surgery or some other alteration to make yourself beautiful? The same Son of God who created the world and upholds it by the word of his power also spoke you into creation and made you the way you are and delights in you. Think there's anything you need to do to be accepted in this world? After making purification for your sins, Jesus sat down because he was done. After making purifications for your sins, he said, it is finished. Trust that the creator of the universe has done everything and said everything you need. Stake your life on this hope and the assurance that you have in it. You might start by finding people who will encourage you on a regular basis with these words rather than discourage you with the messages of this world. The message of do more, try harder, buy this, or be this person. If you give into this message of our age, you will be endlessly disappointed, crushed, feeling like a failure, like on a never-ending treadmill or a hamster wheel. Instead, trust that you have been cleansed by the blood of the Word made flesh. Be fully assured that Jesus Christ made purification for your sins and then sat down because he was done. If the creator and ruler of the world is done with your redemption, there is nothing more you need to do to save yourself. And there is nothing more you need to say than it is finished and to live the rest of your life in response to this good news. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.